Jesus said in John 8.32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that is what we're going to attempt to do with each podcast, to get to the truth so we can live as we've been called. In the last podcast, we talked about the timeline of tribulation, including the false idea that we get raptured at the up at the beginning of it. Um, if that's true, then we'll experience some of these end times. So, so the question becomes, how do we live during those times? And luckily, Jesus doesn't leave us alone in that. He tells us in Matthew 24 and 25. Now, even though this discourse in Matthew 24 and 25 is, is Jesus's end times discourse, I don't really think we're in the end times yet. Okay. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And we'll go over that in a different podcast, but, but no one can dispute that we're in disruptive times, that times are hard, that things keep coming down the pike that none of us expect. And it's just, it's just tough. And what Jesus teaches here in Matthew 24 and 25 is a great lesson for how to live as Christians during disruptive times. His yoke really is easy. We just have to live as he as he shared. So, so let's look at what Jesus himself said and learn how to live properly during these difficult times. So Matthew 24 starts out with the question, what's it going to be like at the end times? And Jesus begins to describe it. He talks about the, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. He talks about how there's going to be a falling away. He talks about the abomination of desolation by Daniel. And he talks about his coming and, and the rapture up. But, but, uh, then in verse 32 of Matthew 24, he kind of starts twisting towards how we're supposed to live during those times. He, he mentions that in the parable of the fig tree. Learn this parable. And I'm reading now from the Bible, Matthew 24, verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, these things will take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So he's, he's saying we can see the signs of the end times, that things are coming, okay? And, and I think we can see that things are getting radically worse. He then goes on to say in verse 36, but no one knows the day or the hour of his coming. And just like no one knew back in the days of of Noah when he went into the ark, they didn't know until the rain started falling. It'll be the, that way too. No one will know when he comes. And it says in verse 34 of Matthew 24, 44 actually, therefore, for you also be ready for the son of man is coming in an hour you don't expect. And then he goes into three parables. So he says, we're not going to know the day or the hour. We need to be ready, okay? How do you be ready? How can we be ready for something like that? And then he shares with us three consecutive parables that kind of tells us how to live, okay? The first one starts in Matthew 24, verse 45. And he says, and I'm just reading, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and in an hour that he is not aware. And he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so Jesus, like this master, has left, and he's left us in charge until he returns, okay? We're in charge of the flock. He wants us working, okay? He wants us to be faithful stewards, and he wants us working. That's the two kind of things that he points out here. So, so what is a faithful steward? This is what we have to realize, guys. All of this is not ours. The money that you have in the bank, that wife or that, that husband, your kids, your very breath, it's not yours, Okay, none of it's yours. It's all a gift. 
we spend so much of our time consumed on us, our stuff. This stuff's not even ours, okay? Jesus in Matthew 6 said, listen, look at the birds. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Stop worrying about these things. It's all a gift. Be thankful for such extravagance. Just be thankful. So, you know, a faithful steward understands that, hey, we don't own this thing, okay? We are stewards, and as such, we don't own it. So we should be faithful. What does that mean? That we should take care of these things, okay? We should treat them with care. We should handle our wives with care. We should handle our kids with care. We should handle the poor with care. Love, smile, speak good words, listen. We're to love, okay? It's about taking care of what you've been put in charge of right where you are. Instead of always looking for the next place to move to and the next place to do and the next thing to to conquer or attack, be a good steward of what you've already been given. Be a good steward of the area that you've already been given. And then you'll find more peace and more enjoyment and more and more joy, really. So take care of that and, and be faithful. Now, when Jesus is talking about that, when he talks about being faithful, he talks about feeding the sheep. It's how Jesus it's what he defines work as. It's feeding the sheep. If you look right at the beginning of this in verse 45, he says, Who then is faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Now, is he actually talking about food? I mean, it could be, but really he's talking about the spiritual food to nourish those that are around us. Okay, Jesus in John 4 verse 34 said, My food is to do the will of my father. At the end of the book of John, Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep. And he's not talking about feeding all of Jerusalem. He's talking about feeding them spiritually, growing them, reaching the lost, and nourishing those people that are around us. When Jesus spoke about his work, it was always about ministry. In Matthew 9, there's a beautiful passage where we get a glimpse into God's heart. And I'm going to read it. Matthew 9, 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And just like then, at that time, the people were weary under the government and under the leaders and under just the stress and and, and everything of that day. People today are weary. I, I, I sense it everywhere I go. There's just a, a weariness. They're they're overworked. If they're actually choosing to work, they're usually short staffed. They're they're just there's one thing after another and and people don't even want to hear anymore about stuff they just they just want to be left alone and and so there's a weariness there and so the harvest is just as plentiful right now there's an opportunity for revival at hand and so we've got to get over ourselves we've got to get past all the noise that's keeping us focused on ourselves and connect to God each morning and then go into this field that's ripe for the harvest and work love people serve others tell them about Jesus There's a popular saying, it says, preach the gospel if you have to, use words. And it's, it, it means to live in such a way that even our life testifies of Jesus. How? Connect with him in the morning. Some people say, well, I, I, I don't have time in the morning, I'm rushed. Listen, first thing you do is you wake up, lay there, breathe in, breathe a deep breath in, and then just thank God for the fact that 
you can even breathe, okay? Then start thanking him for all the things. Eat before your feet have even touched the floor. Start thanking him for all the things in your life, okay? And, and start having that attitude of gratitude right there. And then ask him to help you to see the people that are around you and the needs that are around you and, and to love him and love others the way he wants you to. And then go out and love on people. That's all you've got to do. It, it's, it's five minutes, but it's a connection to God. What's the great commandment? Love God and love others. We've got to stop making this thing so hard. Stop focusing on ourselves and start serving others. You'll be amazed at what God can do through a faithful servant. We've got to understand that our enemy is the devil, and his goal is to keep us worried, weary, running around like chickens with our heads cut off, and and not connecting to God, and not looking around us at the needs around us and loving on people. Everything he does is is geared towards making us the center of our own worlds instead of getting outside of ourselves, loving on God and loving on others. And then Jesus ends this parable with a warning. You know, it's a pretty serious warning. Cut them in two and give the portions with the hypocrites and there's be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, who needs that, right? Who wants that? So let's let's connect to God, love God, love others. Let's bring in this harvest that's out there. Jesus' next parable is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. And uh, this is really a defensive parable. It's a get ready type of parable, okay? So I'm going to read it and then, and then we're going to talk about it because there's a lot of good stuff here. The parable of the wise and foolish virgins. This starts chapter 25 in Matthew and it says, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with them to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So this is like this is like that stewardess example, okay? When, if you've ever been on a plane uh, and they talk about what's going to happen, the little yellow thing's going to pull down, and they always say to, to attach yours first and then help the other people around you, okay? That's the dynamic I want you to be thinking of right here because this is a defensive parable. This is saying get ready for disruption, okay? Yes, oil can be an anointing. It can be symbolic of God's love and grace, but it can also be very practical. In this particular passage, it's actually oil for the lamp. It's actually supplies. It's actually supplies to be able to handle a disruption, okay, so that we can still be ministering to others when things go a little bit crazy. We need to have a supply of of basic needs in case of a disruption of such things like the electrical power, okay? Some of these things are things that are going to go out. Now, this is very practical here, but it's very real. We've already seen in, in Texas a year or two ago where, where a cold front came through and or an ice storm and, and knocked out the electric grid for 
three weeks, okay? Um, hurricane can come through and knock out the electric grid. There could be cyber terrorism that comes out and knocks out the electric grid. There could be a disruption in, in getting trucks to the store so that there's no food on the shelves. There can be poisoning of the water supply. We're still kind of in a war. And although it hasn't hit our shores yet, there's still disruptions that can happen. Rather than pretend like none of these things are, 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 are a possibility when some of them have already happened, let's be a little bit of prepared so that we're not running around in crisis mode like these foolish virgins were when, when the time came, okay? You should set aside, you know, some dry food to be able to handle three to four weeks worth of disruption. Some water, just in case the water supply goes out. Again, enough for three or four weeks. Don't go crazy about it. I don't believe we need to be stockpiling um, in a bunker somewhere seven years worth of stuff to, to that's, that's not trusting God for anything, right? We're trying to handle everything. And in a minute, we're going to read a parable of the talents where God specifically says not to bury our talents in the sand. So we want to be able to handle the disruption, but we don't want to sit here in fear and, and build a bunker somewhere um, so that we can go in there and hide for seven years while the rest of the world gets destroyed. That's just, that's not where we're supposed to be. So power goes out. What do you need? You need a generator, okay, to be able to keep the freezer full of meat and, and um, the refrigerator cold, okay? Maybe charge your, your iPhone a couple times a day or whatever, but you need a generator. You need oil for that generator. You need some food and some water for about three weeks worth. Don't go crazy. You need enough for about three to four weeks, okay? If the electrical goes out, think about this. So now we're just thinking ahead. If the electrical goes out, you can't go to the store and buy anything because the cash registers don't work, okay? Um, So you're going to have to have some cash on hand if you want to acquire anything during this two or three weeks when everything's down. And that cash should be in small bills. It should be fives, tens, twenties, because if that's the case and everything, they're not going to be able to make change of $100 bills for anybody, really. So you want to be able to have some small you know, a little cash stash at the house. Don't build up fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars worth of cash. You don't need that, but enough to handle two or three weeks worth where you have to go out and buy stuff. You, you need to have some cash. The other thing that could happen is a currency disruption. Okay, war is going to continue. The sides are lining up, and whether it's by another country or or our own, there's a possibility a day comes when the dollar's no longer honored or it's no longer the the main currency of the world. If that's the case and there's a new currency, you're going to need gold and silver, actual like coins, to be able to buy whatever this new currency is. And again, I think a month's worth would be enough. If, if something comes down the pike where it's going to end the dollar for, for uh, a, a period of time, then, then whatever this new currency is, it'll get worked into the system within three to four weeks. It has to be because commerce has to keep going. Even the government needs commerce to keep going because they need taxes, right? So – They're going to get it fixed, but you need to have something to handle that disruption. So all of these things, they're just smart things to do. They allow you to keep your head about you while others are losing theirs. It gives you an opportunity to continue to witness. Where everyone else is scrambling, freaking out, you can just keep loving on people. You can be found faithful when he comes, if he comes during such a time as that. And again, he warns the foolish people who don't prepare, who are not ready, are going to miss out. 
So taking a step back where these first two parables were to be ready and faithful stewards, focusing on loving God and loving others. We're not to be overly worried about ourselves. We're, we don't own any of this. We're to love God and love others. We should be prepared with the basics of, you know, some food, some money, some alternative electricity to handle the disruption, to allow us to continue to working on the harvest. And then the final parable he tells here is the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents is, is I mean, I've, I've heard this taught so many times, so many different ways, but really it's an end times parable. This is happening during his end times, okay? And if you remember, if you've heard it before, and if not, I'm just going to overview it real quick, but this is in chapter 25, verses 34 through till 14 through 30, okay, of 25. So the master leaves and he gives one, one servant five talents, he gives another servant two talents, he gives another servant one talent, and the guy who gets five talents turns it into ten, the, the person who got two talents turns it into four, and the person who got one talent hit his talent in the sand. Now when the master came back, made accounts with the servants, and I'm picking it up in, in uh, Matthew 25 verse 20, he says, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents, look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, you are faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of your Lord. So something that's really cool there, he's talking about you get a reward for how you perform here, okay? We're going to have jobs in heaven, okay? We're going to have things to do in heaven, and, and how we, we handle stuff here will, will determine kind of how much stuff we're going to be handled there. And what's neat about this is God is the only one who knows what our task is going to be there. We don't. So whenever you're unsure of why something's happening, Think for a second, hey, God just may be preparing me for something that I don't even know is coming down the pike. And that's why we should always trust God first rather than try to handle everything on our own. Picking it up in 22, he says, he who... He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He gives that person who had uh, the two talents, he gives them the exact same reward as the person who had the five talents because they both did the same thing. They were both as faithful. So that's super cool, okay? It doesn't matter if you were given all these gifts and, and, and whether you, whatever you were born into or, or whatever, doesn't matter. It's, it's your heart and what you do with it. Even if you were given less, as long as you, you went at it the same way with the same heart, with the same attitude, you're going to get the same reward. That's super cool. And then he who had received the one talent came and said, and I'm reading again, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered him and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and my coming, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's very clear here. We're not to bury our talents. That's a big deal, what he's talking about. We're not to hide in fear. God says over and over in his scripture, do not fear, okay? Now, there's a couple levels to look at. Like most scripture, there's layers, right? You learn one thing, and then years later, you see that same passage, and you see it differently because you've learned and grown. 
yes, we can look at this passage as just investments. We have to make wise investments. But from a Christian standpoint, don't focus so much on the money. We're to make investments in, in much more than money, right? We're to invest in people. We're to invest in our loved ones, our kids. We're to invest in our church and our employees. We're to invest in people. You have to be careful thinking that it's just money because you can't take it with you. The whole retirement concept is is kind of unbiblical. Jesus specifically warns about it in Luke 12, 16 through 21, where the guy builds up all these barns to store all his extra stuff so that he can live the rest of his days, eat, drink, and be merry, and not have to work anymore. And Jesus says, you fool. Tonight, your life will be taken from you. And then who's going to have all of this stuff? Paraphrasing, but that's basically Luke 12, 16 through 21, that parable. And what he's basically saying is, you don't know if you're going to live tomorrow. I could leave this recording studio and get hit by a car and die. I could be done. So to always put off and try to save up for some mystical thing down the road, it's just not biblical. We've got to, we've got to love the people around us now, okay? And I love that in this passage, you know, the word talent is used as a unit of, of measure of, of money, but the word talent, and we think of our own talents and abilities, so it's very easy to morph that over about investing our talents as well, okay? The gifts and, and abilities that we've been given, we're supposed to use them. God gave us these gifts. We're supposed to apply them, we're supposed to apply them at work. We're supposed to apply them in our homes. We're supposed to apply them to the people we love. Now, a little aside on, on talents. When it comes to your talents, I think we get we get so focused in the church on, on trying to do this all ourselves. You know, there's all these tests so you can see your spiritual gifts and all these other things. And, and all of that's good, but we don't know how great we are, okay? We don't know what God's got planned for us on the other side. So let God lead, okay? Connect with him in the morning, seek his wisdom, and then act as his prompting. So let me give you an example. You're sitting in church, and, and the pastor says, we're going to need some help in the kids' ministry, uh, and, and all of a sudden you get this tug. You feel like, gosh, maybe I should maybe I should jump in and, and help out there. What happens a lot of times is immediately you begin to start coming up with all the reasons why you can't do it. You're not good with kids. You don't have the time. You don't have this this thing. Rather than do that, why not just step forward and do it? Just do it because what you may find as you start serving in these places is guess what? You've got gifts and abilities, talents, empathy you didn't even know about. Okay, so let's try to trust God a little bit with these things, too. If you see a need, you feel a tug, just go in there and do it. Jump in. Give a hand, you know, no excuses. My pastor came to me almost a year ago now asking me to, to lead a small group that a new thing they were doing, a radical mentoring thing, and, and it was going to be a lot of work, a, a book a month you had to read, a report on each one, you had to study scripture, it was all this work. I was busy, but because my pastor asked, I said, all right, I'll, I'll do it. That changed my life. Those nine months started me on a trajectory of growth that, that has just absolutely changed my life. Giving of yourself, there's so many benefits to it, but we've got to trust in this and, and allow him to lead us to where he wants us to be, okay? So here we go. Times are crazy. It's disruptive. People are weary. Yet Jesus is telling us we're to be faithful. We're to be ready. We're to be working and giving and loving. God and others. And you may say, Brian, dude, I'm one of those tired people. I'm weary, okay? I don't want to even think about all this stuff. If you're that person, if you're weary right now, if you're tired, you're missing, and you're a Christian, I think you're missing something that a lot of Christians miss, and that's this. Rest is a part of work. Rest is a part of work. Let me, let me explain. God made everything in six days, the Bible says, back in Genesis, right? He made everything in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested, and he called it the Sabbath, and he made it holy. 
But Jesus in John 5, 17 said, my father is always working to this very day. And I too am working. So if he rested one day out of seven, how could he be always working unless that rest was indeed part of the work process? And it is. It's baked into our DNA. It's part of the rhythms of our life. We were made to work for six days and rest one. Retirement communities where you sit and you retire and then you don't work again, that's a slow death, okay? And if you've ever been to one, it's it's people waiting to die. It's it's not how we were made to be. We can be productive no matter what age we are. It's defined differently when you're older. You can't do the same things you can do when you're younger, but you can still add wisdom and value to the younger generations. We were made to work six days and rest one. And so, you know, most people, they'll, they'll work four or five days and then they take two off. So you say, Brian, why is everyone so worn out? It's because you're doing it wrong. The Sabbath day is not a day to catch up on all the stuff that you didn't get done. The Sabbath day is a day to rest, to actually not work, not run errands, not run after the kids, actually not work. The number one thing when I teach this to people, they say is, I'm too busy. I can't do it, Brian. There's no way. You don't understand. I have kids. I have this. They have to go somewhere. I can't. And I'm telling you, that's a lie. How do I know it's a lie? Because if someone really important to you died and you had to take off for a funeral, you would do it and you'd be able to take the whole day off and your life would still go on. Like, It wouldn't fall apart. It actually happened. Or you've gone on vacations. And what happens when you go on a vacation? The four or five days prior to that vacation, you're hyper-focused. You're getting everything done, everything handled ahead of time, right? And then you can go on your vacation. Guess what? That's the same thing. If you have that same commitment to that one day, you can have everything else done in the six days. You can. This past weekend, I was, I always take Saturday as my Sabbath, and you don't have to be legalistic about it. It could be Saturday. It could be Sunday. It could be, if you're a pastor and you have to do things on Saturday and Sunday, maybe you make Monday your Sabbath day. The key is that you, you're not working, okay? That doesn't mean you, you, you have to sit around and do nothing. You know, my, my, my Sabbath Saturday, this past Saturday was, I woke up at nine o'clock. Now I'm a a. 4am guy and, and on the weekends I don't set my alarm. So, so I wake up at like six on Saturday. I woke up at nine. Like I haven't woken up at nine and forever. I must've needed it, but guess what? Wake up, no guilt. You don't need guilt. This is your day to do whatever, right? And then I went and I had my quiet time. I didn't even eat breakfast till like 11.30. And I just went out to my patio area where I've got a hot tub and a table and everything. It was an 80 degree day, beautiful weather. And I just chose to sit outside and read and just hang out in my backyard, look at all the birds and just chill out. That was my day. And then I grilled out because I like to grill out. If it was a Saturday during college football, I'd probably be up at nine watching uh, Kirk Herbstreet in college game day. That's my Sabbath day. And, and that day, it doesn't matter what you, what you do as long as it's not working. And you might say, well, well, Brian, I've got kids, I've got wives, teach them how to do it too, okay? I've got three teenage boys, and, and on my Saturday, uh, my Sabbath day, they're not going to get a lot from me, okay? If I want to play with them, I'll choose to play with them, but otherwise, you're on your own, okay? This is my Sabbath day, we're resting. You know what those guys will do if they're going to do their Sabbath day? Those teenage boys will sleep till like 1 o'clock, and you know what? I'll let them. The other six days, I'll hammer them to do the stuff they're supposed to do. But, man, let them sleep in. No guilt. You can't tell them they can do whatever and then and then no guilt. God tells us to take one day off out of seven. It's actually a commandment, okay? 
you're going to be disobedient otherwise. It doesn't matter how you do it or why you do it. And we'll do a podcast where we go in depth into this, but you've got to get away and connect to God. And here's what happens. You get insights. When you, when you get out of the hoopla and get out of the crazy of your life and you step away for a moment, God can reach you and give you ideas. It sharpens your saw. It makes you better. Taken together, these three parables are the simple rhythms of God's grace. It's his easy yoke. If we do these things, if we love God, we love others. We rest. We work. We do good works using our talents and our time. We're ready and we're prepared. We can go through life without the hurried worry that that encompasses so many people. And we can enjoy this journey even during distressing times because we're focused on all the people we can help. Because guess what? During these times, there's way more people to help than we can, we can even help. And the opportunity is everywhere. The harvest is there. So let's enjoy this journey and love God and love others. Until next time, be blessed.